It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I'm a little bit sad this morning when I opened my eyes to the sound of the alarm at about... 20 to 6 small little bit sad the room was duller than it has been in many weeks I was I, I'm one of these people that sleeps with the window wide open and sometimes even the curtains too uh, so I know the minute I open my eyes what's facing me in the morning when I get up and sure enough the alarm went off maybe 20 maybe 19 minutes to 6 this morning and I looked up and I goes ah oh, no Ah, no, the mornings are starting to close in. It wasn't properly bright until I was, I suppose, putting the dogs out for their morning discussion with Mother Nature around five past six. And ah, it's starting to draw in. But then again, autumn starts on the 1st of September, so I suppose all good things must eventually come to an end. That was just my first thought this morning. But a nice weather would would cheer me up a bit. We, we, we still don't know what's happening with the weather over the next couple of weeks. It could go either way. Uh, could go either way. That's the the weekend looks like a washout at this stage, but next week looks somewhat promising. But all that and more to come. First of all, though, uh, NIAC, the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, told the Minister for Health yesterday, or rather told the Chief Medical Officer, uh, Dr. Houlihan, that from now on it is okay to mix vaccines. Uh, to give someone who'd had an AstraZeneca first out, who's still waiting on their second dose and would prefer to take Pfizer or a Moderna, that they can do that. Uh, the research from all over the world for the last couple of months has shown that yes, you can do it, and in certain circumstances it may even give you a stronger immune response than just a second dose of AstraZeneca. But now Nyack has said that we can do it. Up against that comes uh, reports from Israel. And you see, Israel started really quickly. 
And at the beginning of this, they were the poster boys for how to run a vaccination programme. So they started really quickly and flew through the population. And now they're in trouble because vaccine immunity does wane. So the research now tells us. And they're a bit concerned that as it begins to wane, that Delta could get a, a real tough hold on Israel. And they're worried. And in fact, I'm reading from... Uh, an article in sciencemag.org, great website, that vaccination does blunt, does slow down, but doesn't defeat Delta. That's a quote from their Minister of Health in Israel, uh, who said that uh, they're now going to give vaccine shots, vaccine booster shots to everybody over 50 because they've got a critical time now. They can vaccinate everybody really quickly at the start of the year. And now... And now they need to go boosting again. Let us check in with someone who was a guest on the opinion line before, Professor Christine Lusher uh, from DCU in Dublin. Professor, good morning to you. Good morning. Those two things, I suppose, balanced off against one another. Heterologous vaccination, I think, is the word. NIAC now says we can start doing that here. And then the picture coming in from Israel, which, which is concerning. Let's start with the first one first. You'd welcome it, I imagine. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I know that some people would say, should we not have done this sooner? But, you know, the the data that's come from Germany and Spain and the UK has been very positive. And it's only really in the last month that the EMA, which is our regulatory authority that we would seek advice from, while they haven't like recommended that as a protocol, they have said that they're very happy with the safety profile and they're happy with the science. So I think that's a really positive indication from the EMA that the regulation is on the way. Um, and I think that, you know, the AstraZeneca that we rolled out to younger cohorts was because we had a surplus, because we were in a bit of a race against Delta. So I think that the chance of those people now having a second Pfizer, which will give them a much higher level of protection against Delta, is a really positive move. And I think it's really good news, particularly for that cohort. That combination of AstraZeneca plus Pfizer, could you break it into layman's terms, Professor, why that seems to be working so well? Yeah, so essentially what the research would show is that, first of all, you need two parts of your immune system to be switched on to give you good coverage. So the first one is you need a good antibody response. So antibodies bind to the actual virus and stop them entering your cells. So that's one thing that your your immune system does. The other thing you need is you need T cells. And T cells can not only switch on antibodies, but they can also um, uh, have killer T cells and they can also um, directly kill the virus. So So AstraZeneca seems to be very good at switching on strong T-cell responses. Pfizer seems to be really good at switching on very specific antibody responses. So what the research will show is that the combination of the two actually gives you a really, really powerful immune response. And AstraZeneca against Delta, because the immune response, the antibody response is not as strong, even two doses of AstraZeneca is not as strong against Delta as, as some of the other vaccines. So that combination just seems to be what they call the sweet spot yeah. in immunology of protection. Yeah. Now, we are going to be getting boosters here too, those in the most vulnerable vulnerable. Um, categories to begin with and they're going to start it around the time of the flu vaccination uh, Stephen Donnelly has been saying a good decision yes so the situation that we're in so generally when you get a vaccine at some stage your antibody level will drop a little bit and that's 
that's what the, um, a recent study has shown. Now, it, it didn't drop hugely. I mean, I think what they said was that there was probably a 6% drop in your antibody level over, over the period of a few months after your second dose. And in the normal situation, that wouldn't be a big deal if we weren't in a situation where you're being constantly uh, potentially exposed to the infection the whole time. So if that was waning with a flu vaccine or one of the childhood vaccines and you're not being exposed to that constantly, it probably wouldn't make much difference. But Delta changes that. Mm. So because Delta is really transmissible, because our case number is high and we're quite exposed to it at the moment, it means that there's a potential that if you even have a small waning of your protection, it gives Delta a chance Mm. to get in there and take hold. And the real concern would be people over a certain age. So that cohorts that we started to vaccinate first, you know, the over 65s, healthcare workers who are constantly exposed. And a lot of them had AstraZeneca on board. And the, finally, the people with underlying conditions. So even a small difference to them in terms of their protection could actually have a significant impact. So the booster program, if you like, will mitigate any kind of impact that Delta might have through the yeah. winter on those really vulnerable cohorts. Well, what I think I hear, I'm hearing you say is that it is quite normal. Again, this and this kicks back or pushes back against some of the nonsense out there on social media, for example, that it is quite normal for the acute response of a vaccine to wane. But when you've got Delta in the community, that's not desirable. Is that what you're saying to us? Essentially, yes. So, I mean, if you if you get a vaccine to travel to a different country, get one of your travel vaccines, you know, if you measured your antibody level a couple of weeks after that vaccine, you'd have a very high level. If you measured it, you know, a couple of months later or a year later, it would be less. But if you're not being constantly exposed to the infection that, 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 that the vaccine is against, it probably doesn't make that much difference. The problem is, is that we're all living in a, in a situation where our potential exposure to Delta is constant in our everyday lives. And therefore, the higher level of protection that you have is necessary in order to be able to make sure that you don't get it. And it's particularly important for people who are vulnerable. So the other thing to say is, is that while that study showed a waning of the antibody levels, it didn't really focus on any changes in these really important T-cells that we need for immunity as well. So, And some studies would say that the T-cell response remains really, really strong in individuals. So even though the antibody levels are a little bit down, it may not be that the whole immune response is down. So that's something to consider as well, that it's not a blanket mm. waning of immunity in general. With so many people being diagnosed now with as new infection day to day and while most of them, the majority of them thankfully, will just suffer a mild illness. Are we still studying the comparison between naturally acquired immunity and immunity from vaccines? And do we know, yes, which is better? So, I mean, because we're only a certain amount of time into this pandemic, we've only had you know, a year plus to be able to look at natural immunity in individuals. So we know that immunity is still there in individuals, certainly up to the nine to 12 month mark. So what we also know is from a lot of our research is that if you've had an initial infection and you get um, a vaccine, 
that your immunity is significantly enhanced. So right. that natural infection plus vaccine is really, really um, powerful. And I, and I think it's one of the messages that's really important is that sometimes people think, oh, I've had COVID, so I'm okay, I'll have immunity. It long-lasting immunity requires that other exposure that you get with the vaccine. So um, we don't know yet how long that immunity will last. I mean, there have been viruses around for hundreds of years, and we know that even people who had the flu back in in the early 1900s, those that were alive in the early 2000s, um, they actually had immunity. They had antibodies to that flu 100 years later. So, you know, antibody responses and immunity can last for a very long time. We just haven't had time to see with this virus how long that's going to last for us. Okay, and only time will tell in in that regard. Looking, Professor, at the... Israel picture and in introducing you there I mentioned that at the very start of this Israel were the poster boys of how to get a vaccination program out quickly now they're worried about the rise of Delta so what lessons can we learn here from Israel at the moment well, I think, I mean, we're we're almost on a par in terms of our percentages with Israel at the moment, and I think what it shows is is that with Delta, that even when you have, you know, over 70% of your population vaccinated, Delta is still an issue. And that's because how virulent and transmissible it is. So the lessons that we're learning is that having, you know, their case numbers are high, but they're certainly not translating into hospitalizations, ICUs and deaths. And and we're seeing the same here. So I think the lessons that we're learning is that, you know, And I think actually if we look at them very closely over the next few weeks as they start to roll out their booster programme for their vulnerable cohorts and their older adults, I think what we'll see is is potentially if we see the higher level of protection, if they see that their case numbers are are not in those cohorts, then I think we learn our lesson, which is that our booster programme will have value in, in those cohorts, I think, in Ireland. So. We've, I think, you know, they showed us that high levels of vaccination are, are really protective. But against Delta, they are st- it is still a challenge. You know this thing that they call the vaccine wall and, and the idea that the infection in the community would meet the vaccine wall and begin community transmission and community infection would eventually start getting pushed back. The day-to-day numbers don't seem to indicate we're near that. So what you see with the day-to-day numbers is, if, we, if we've looked at any other phase of a wave of the of, of of COVID, what we've seen is numbers escalate really, really quickly to a really high level, sure. stay there for a while, and then drop off. Okay, and that drop off is has only happened because we've gone into a major lockdown, for example. What we see in this situation is is that. They've risen up a little bit and then they've stayed stable for a couple of weeks and then we get another jump and then they've stabled. So we're looking at this kind of steps and stairs kind of um, uh, change in numbers. What's happened even over the last couple of weeks is they've gone up to that 2000s, but they've kind of dropped back now to about 1500. So we're seeing this kind of surge and then a stabilisation. Are we at the magic plateau yet? I'd say I'd say our numbers have been we're at a very slow rise and remember that rise is because we still have quite a large proportion of people who aren't vaccinated and and you know that has been for for lots of reasons we've had a great vaccination program but we haven't been able to roll out a vaccination program to 1.25 million of our population which are which are under the age of 18 
up until very recently. So there's, you know, we still have a large proportion of our of our people not vaccinated. And in a normal situation against a virus that's fairly transmissible, that probably our case numbers would have been lower. But Delta and its transmissibility has made everything more difficult. So I feel like what will happen is over the next few weeks, we will see another steady rise in our case numbers. Hopefully we will see that it doesn't translate into significant changes in hospitalizations and um, and ICU admissions. Again, while that's gone up, it's gone up steadily and slowly and has been much, much lower than it was in any of the other waves. Um, and I think that as more people get vaccinated, um, I think that we'll just start to see that plateau and it will eventually drop down. But remember, we're looking at cases rising at the moment on the back of opening indoor activities, people socialising more, and now we're looking at schools going back. So it was the case numbers, you know, when we talked about whether or not to open indoor dining, I made the point that the case numbers are going to rise with Delta. It's, it's about making sure enough people are vaccinated so it doesn't translate into hospitalisations. And if that's the case, then the decision to maybe restrict things again or lock down shouldn't be made on case numbers. It should be made on, on how sick people are getting. So I think our slowly but surely opening things up has worked. We were always going to see a rise in cases. And that's going to rise, I think, a little bit more over the next four to six weeks with schools being back. But then I think it will start to drop off. Do you think, and some prophets of doom, again on social media and the cesspit that it can be, some prophets of doom are suggesting be ready for a winter lockdown? No, I I personally do not see that happening at the moment. I mean, people need to remember the rationale for lockdowns previously. So the last time we went into a lockdown was in January after Christmas. We had a massive surge in cases. We had practically nobody vaccinated. And we were facing into a variant, which was the alpha variant from the UK. And that scenario is completely different to this scenario. We are looking at huge proportion of the, of the, of the um, country vaccinated. And that vaccination background in the whole population is what will help us keep our case number manageable. And that case number not translating into hospitalizations. I mean, vaccination is not about stopping somebody ever getting an infection. Mm. It's making sure they don't get a severe infection that impacts on them and causes them serious illness or death. So that's a primary role of vaccination is about preventing that. And that's exactly what our vaccination programme is doing Mm. for the majority of of the people in Ireland at the moment. And lastly and briefly, to again dispel another bit of rubbish that's going around, we know can unequivocally say, can we not, Professor, the vaccines are working? Absolutely. I mean, if you just look at the data that we had on severe infections, hospitalizations, and death when we didn't have vaccines and a high case number, and look at those now, we are looking at two completely different scenarios. The vaccine program in Ireland has had a really phenomenal impact and it has saved lives. All right. Thank you for being with us again uh, this morning on the programme. That's Professor Christine Lusher uh, from the Department of Immunology at DCU. 1850-715-996. The vaccines are working, no matter what the clowns will tell you on social media. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
fully focused. What do you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now, your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most. With now. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just the numbers on vaccinations as of, I guess, yesterday or the most recent set of figures published by HSE. 90% of adults in the country have now received at least one vaccine dose. 83% of adults are now fully vaccinated, which is a marvellous figure. Now, of the eligible population, everyone over 12, that's 75% of the eligible population now fully vaccinated. And we've had 6.46 million, that's 6,460,000 doses of vaccine given out up and down the country, which are some impressive numbers. And here's hoping that over the next few weeks, these daily case numbers will plateau, will flatten out. And the numbers in hospital, they're ticking up a little bit, but there's capacity there still, and that's the important part. And the people going into hospital are coming out of hospital faster. And of the people going into hospital and going into ICU, the vast, vast numbers are people who are unvaccinated. So here's hoping, here's hoping that we're, we're, we're going to start levelling off very, very soon. Mag says, brilliant call with Professor Losher. No fear-mongering, just the facts and some much-needed positivity. Well, Mags, as I said to you previously, we have endeavoured since day one to give you just the facts. Sometimes those facts were not pleasant, but the facts they were nonetheless. Just on something else, uh, hi PG, I don't know if you're aware that students that are returning to college, etc. in September are being cut off from the PUP, even, even if their job hasn't reopened. My son's been on the PUP on and off since last year. Each time his employment got the go-ahead from the government to reopen, he signed off the pup and returned to work happily. But now his employer doesn't know when the government will allow them to reopen, so my son, like many more, will be cut off. Yes, he'll get his college grant, but when they break it down, it's €35 a week to cover things like bus fares, etc. It's awful. And yet the government get pay rises constantly. Thank you. And thank you for that. 1850-715-996. The dust is still not settled on the joy of the morning of last Sunday week when Kelly Harrington got in there and battered on Ferreira around the ring for three rounds, well she didn't do so well in the first one, then she battered in the second and third and she lifted the Olympic gold medal and Kelly Harrington, the, the, the darling of Ireland still and she will be for the foreseeable future just like just like Katie Taylor was after 2012 Kelly Harrington is now the darling of Ireland and it's it's difficult to get an, op- an opportunity to interview uh, someone like an Olympic gold medalist
Well, this morning, our friends at FM 104 in Dublin, uh, Jim, Jim and Nobby on the Strawberry Alarm Clock, had a chance to speak to none other than uh, Kelly Harrington. And I'll let you hear that after Pink on Cork's 96 FM. We are so- Kelly Harrington, good morning. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> hey, well done. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Does that introduction ever get old? Not yet, I'd say. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Has your head stopped spinning yet, or are you still on cloud nine? Uh, do you know, it feels quite normal. Everybody keeps saying, like, oh, like, <laughs> you must be feeling this, you must be feeling that. But I just feel, it feels just the same as any other kind of fight, to be honest with you, except for more people are noticing me now. Like, that's, like, yeah. <laughs> I love, by the way, for people who you can't see this as radio, in the background is a teapot, because Kelly is still keeping it real. Um, <laughs> is that coffee or tea? Ah, oh, tea, tea, tea. Coffee comes out of a coffee machine. Tea is in the teapot. <laughs> well, then we have to ask a gold medalist about their gold blend. Are you lines or berries or are you going to throw a curveball? Oh, I do. Like to be honest with you, I, I'm like I'm not a tea snob, like, but right. uh, I, I would. I'm going to say lines. Did you have a few bags in the in, in the gear bag? <laughs> I had a few, uh, do you know, people were bringing, so like, obviously Team Ireland were coming out at different stages and stuff. Yeah. So like, I had people bringing out boxes of tea bags. I didn't give them a preference. They were just bringing some out. Some were bringing lines, some were bringing berries and some were bringing all kinds of teas, but they were all good. They were all drank. There was actually a nice tea out there in the, in the, um, in the food hall in the village. I don't know what brand it was, but it was lovely. And I, I, I enjoyed that now. Whatever, whatever was in it, it worked, if you don't mind me saying so. <laughs> Here, don't be saying that. I'll be getting tested again. They'll be at my door now in two minutes. <laughs> no, this is the taste of success. That's what you like now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you might know. smell and taste of success is yeah. great. <laughs> you might know this, but our station is like two minutes from your family house. So we, we kind of have to say sorry because we did, well, we weren't alone, but there was other people there very early talking to your dad, your mom, your brothers. Um, we uh, The best thing I loved, I said, uh, I heard Kelly this morning on radio talking about how the last mile is always the loneliest. And it was your other brother who'd come up with it. And he was like, no, that was Christopher. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> such a good quote. Yeah, no, that's what, like, he had said that to me now in the qualifier. So back in the qualifying tournament, it was, uh, I think I had to fight four, four fights in, four or five fights, I can't remember, in over five days. Like, and it was tough. Like, it was, you had to make weight every day. Like, so people don't realise, like, that you actually have to weigh in every morning at 60 kilos, which wouldn't be, like, I mean, it's not me, me normal body weight. So you have to hold that over the course of the, the five days in the qualifiers. And I was coming towards like I qualified I had qualified and then I was in the medal stages and I think I was going for a gold then at that stage and like I was saying to Christopher like you know like I feel really lonely out here you know like it's especially with COVID you couldn't leave the hotel or anything it was literally and you were caged in if you left they were going to disqualify you from the tournament you know and he was he was like do you know what he says the last mile it's never crowded Mm. and I'm like oh my god like that that's so true like it isn't ever crowded like and and in my case I like I've always kind of been on my own and I've had the coaches there but now with COVID it's really not crowded like you're you're literally on your own you don't even share a room anymore with, with a roommate you know like yeah. normally you can bounce off each other but like yeah there was none of that like it was 
it was on your own like you know go to it do you know what it was grand like it was grand we had I had the teammates there they were in the next room and stuff and it was great <laughs> Kelly there's loads of little boys and girls who've been inspired by what you've done and they're listening now and whatever sport they're interested in whatever their whatever their dream is where we, what advice would you give them about following their dream well my advice would be that you know just just do what makes you happy and you know whatever you don't have to be an olympic champion you don't have to be an irish champion you just have to do what what makes you happy and don't let anybody stop you or don't let any anything get in your way and like you're going to have setbacks you're going to have knockbacks like i've picked up injuries i've had losses but they don't define they don't define you if anything they make you grow and this is what makes an athlete this is what makes a person they learn from these things and it, 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 you, you gain great experience and it's life experience that you get from these things so 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 go for it and and just just be happy and just be content in what you're doing and I know that's a, a lot for for the young child to take in <laughs> but yeah but like if any of the parents are out there listening yeah encouragement goes an awful long way but not to be too pushy and not to be wanting something for your for your kids that you want for yourself either do you know what yes. I mean just to be encouraging but in a good way and let them have to want it also you know and 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 I mean the rest will will speak for itself of course, I just want to mention as well, uh, forget about teabags for a minute. Uh, we're getting to chat today because you are FBD's insurance ambassador. Uh, and I suppose the, the rumours now are, last week it was, oh, Kelly has this offer and Kelly has that offer. Um, there's like everything, everything being named about. Um, I presume that all comes in time. Your head's not, you're not thinking of who wants to sponsor me or stick this on my arm or... Yeah, well, this is it. Like, well, now FBD have been with me since 2018. They've yeah. been fantastic, you know, like they've been a great sponsor to me. Um, going forward now, like, I'm not like, obviously there is offers coming in, but uh, I, I'm like, I'm just taking some time because it's not a, for me, it's not all about money. You know, for mm. me, what what is about, it's about achieving what I've set out to do and it's about like I've always wanted to lift my my community and bring the community together like that's what I've always wanted to do like we have a Kelly Harrington fun day once a year around in the North Strand football pitch like and it's not actually called the North Strand football pitch I don't think but that's what we call it around here <laughs> and uh, like that's what we'd have that once a year like I've been trying to get community allotments set up and all then while I'm away like this happens and and every, the community is all together like neighbours who didn't even know they were neighbours are together people who haven't seen or spoke to each other in years are, are, are out hugging each other Covid has had people court and twitching and afraid to come out of houses but yet on, on the morning of my final like and I think some, some of the other fights as well like they were oh, yeah. all out on the street they were jumping for joy they were crying with, with tears of happiness and it was just like when I seen those videos like that's worth more than any gold medal. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? You can have whatever you want, but but to lift the spirits of of a community and of a nation, that's like that's, what you that's did. stuff that money can't buy. Like that's worth yeah. its own weight in gold. And I know you lifted Simba on the bus. I presume by yeah. now you've seen the video of the of the baby in the pink growy <laughs> getting lifted up into the air. Of uh, the what? There was a real life baby on the on the Sunday morning somewhere on Sherry Street where just there's a crowd. You, just as you won. 
Så så man efter noget på nakke for baby. Ja, det er efter baby. Det er fantastisk. Oh my god. Yeah. I can't wait now. I'm going to actually try and get that. That is brilliant. Um, I'm telling you. Really it's like something from the snapper. Like this, hold the baby up. Just as, you know, Come on, just, as, just as you were announced as gold. It's like, yes! <laughs> Small turkey, though. Um, one of the stories as well, quite soon after your win, was the facilities that were spoken about where you trained. And, and that, you know, maybe not as much thought was given to girls clubs in particular boxing um, so I presume that's not lost in you I mean you're going to make things better for people even whether you realise it or not yeah well like I mean the facilities well look because of Covid like boxing has lost out big time mm. like boxing is one of the worst hit sports because of Covid you know because it's a contact sport and mm. uh, like the clubs haven't been fully opened and stuff like that now is the time where you want the clubs to be open because you want all the, to get all those kids and all those teenagers through the doors now. But it's not like, so I'm hoping when it does open up, we can capitalise on that. But, I mean, if you don't have proper facilities, then you can't take these people in. So I'm hoping that the government is going to like put a lot of funding into boxing because mm. it doesn't get the funding that it deserves. Like Boxing has most of the, like they have half of the Olympic medals that we hold, you know, and... Uh, three of them are three. Three of the how many goals do we have? Nine, I think. I'm not too sure. I think it's nine. Three of those nine are from boxing. Yeah. Uh, the nine gold medals, like I think. Now I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Sounds but uh, yeah, so hopefully the the funding does go in. Like hopefully we get more funding. Yeah. Like we're obviously getting funding, but hopefully we get a whole lot more funding. But not just into boxing, into the local youth community halls and stuff because. As a child, that's where I started out uh, when I was going down the wrong way. I went in, I was in the community halls and they were the ones who, who were trying to source a local boxing club from me as well, you know. So I think it should, money should be given to local youth communities and stuff like that as well. Like this is, this should open up like open doors. the floodgates now, you know, for, mm. for a lot. Like, so hopefully that, that, that we can reap the rewards of it. I've got, I don't know about you, Jim, but I, I've got a question about, one last question, if, if I may. When you have trained as hard as you had for the years you have, and, and as you talk about weight every morning, was there a cheat meal after the fight and what was it? So in the food hall, in the, I know you only asked me a simple question, but here we go. In the food <laughs> hall, the food hall was huge, right? You have like Asian, European, halal, gluten-free, vegetarian, all of that stuff. So like I had been having an ice pop every day. That was me little tea every day, like to right. keep me sane. But then when it was all over, like they also have like cake stands and stuff like it's unreal. Like you, if you've seen it, you'd be, it's like being in paradise. Uh, so I, I, first of all, I went for all the, the sweet stuff like that you can never have, like, and then I just, yeah, I was just eating everything like chips and stuff. Cause I mean, it's never, it's never the same as what you'd get at home. Like, you know, you'd say, oh, I'd love a pizza. Or I'd love a burger. It's not the same, like yeah. until you get home, until you get that good stuff, you know, but when I got home, I got a uh, base pizza. Oh, very good. Nice. Yeah, so it was nice. Well, listen, you are an absolute uh, inspiration, a hero to us all, your family, your community, and the whole country. So we're uh, we're chuffed for you. Thanks, lads. And I really appreciate all the support, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And thanks to everybody. It's been been great. And thanks to the community where you're from who let us in and drive our cars around and get up early in the morning and put them on the radio. It was brilliant. Really appreciate it. They're, they're they're great, you know, and, and again, like people have been saying, oh, your community is brilliant. And I've been saying this for years, you yeah. know, so I'm glad that people are getting to see how good of a community and how great they are. 
They're our pals now. <laughs> Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Yeah, a reminder that we're asking you to get behind our hurling finalists. Uh, we want your help to get behind them. Decorate the house, decorate the business in the cork colours, flags, bunting, dye the dog, dye your hair, whatever. Uh, get creative. And then WhatsApp us in your photos. We'll have 500 euro for the best house, 500 for the best business. And thanks to Bordgosh Energy, proud sponsor of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship and the Legend Tour Series of Cork Park, we have a pair there they are rarer than hen's teeth. They're harder to get than diamond-encrusted gold. A pair of tickets for the final on Sunday. So WhatsApp your pictures to 83 We'll be announcing the winners on Thursday evening. That's tomorrow evening. Stay listening to win on Cork's 96 FM. Do you know the way you say something? I do it all the time. In a throwaway. Last week, we were talking about hospitals and numbers and capacity and, you know, whether we would have the capacity if we had a surge of Delta. And I mentioned that, sure, didn't the Chinese build a hospital in a couple of weeks? You'd wonder, could we ever do that? Or words to that effect? (laughs) Not only could we do it, we have a company led by a corkman who could do it and do it very quickly. Patrick Hogan of Seabox. Patrick, good morning to you. Morning, Pete. How are I, you? I heard about Seabox before. I think we may even have met before. We, we met a couple of times. But, uh, but I wasn't it, aware that this is the kind of work that you do. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're an Irish American company. Um, so myself and Jim Brennan um, set up in Cork in 2016. We're also based in New Jersey, so in the United States. And we, we, we provide solutions, right? So we use the concept of, 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 of a container, so a shipping container, right. and develop them into different things. So, uh, uh, as I said, the, 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 the last call, the journal to Fiona, um, when I heard you on about it, um, that the U.S. Uh, Navy obviously are around the world um, and they, they are in different areas and they came to us with a project of developing um, a field hospital. But a field hospital can be moved anywhere in 48 hours. A field hospital, they can be flown from Cork to Afghanistan or to anywhere in, in, in a very short period of time. So we built the, the, the capabilities medical treatment facility for them. So it, 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 it's, it's, it's about 15 to 17 different containers that join together and could become a hospital. Mm-hmm. But it, because it's intermodal and modular, it can be shipped anywhere in the world uh, by land, sea, or uh, a plane. And the, when I mentioned plane in that, we, we built this because it needs to fit, it fit into an eight-foot space. So most containers are eight-foot-six high. Yeah. We built this to eight-foot high so it can fit into C-130 Hercules. And will they be, and these were the kind of, of containers, Patrick, that... You know, some people convert into sheds or offices or even a pod yeah. in the back garden. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, it's the same container concept, but um, it, like we build from scratch, brand new. Okay. So, 
we 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 would build these uh, to meet a standard. So like we've done it in Cork for for let's say a heating container, so uh, a, a modular heating plant room or a district heating system or or a, a couple of other projects coming up with with, with other militaries um, for for camps in, in in Europe and that. So we can literally build anything and 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 and, our, and uh, once there, there's a vision for it, you know. Um, and 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 to be honest here, because I'm not in an NDA with it, but when the the announcement came from the H from from Leo Varadkar uh, at the time in March, the same day we we were up with the HSC planning for surge capacity, so okay. we did to develop uh, three thousand plus beds in a very short period of yeah, time. Yeah, how quickly, if you were asked by the HSE or told, look, we have a problem, Patrick, uh, we we need more ICU or we need more beds, how quickly could you provide, say, a couple of hundred emergency beds for the HSE? Uh, uh, realistically, depending on standards, again, we'd have to meet all the, the yeah. standards. But An acceptable the, standard hospital bed. Yeah, so let's say uh, you'd start receiving them in less than... 100, and 100 days, uh, depending on, again, depending on the standards and approvals. You know, PJ, is, you're, you're long in the tooth. You know how, how long these processes take. Um, um, so, but, but, but it, it, it can be quick. Like we, we, we had a, a, an issue a, a, in, in a European country where we had to develop something very quickly, as in six days. Mm-hmm. Now, we had people working in, in facilities doing this like 24 hours a day 12 12 hour shifts but but what i'm doing now in 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 cork is that we're 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 building our own new facility here we're starting to to do more and more uh, in ireland so building in ireland because they, i i don't know do you do you do you know or are you aware of the the issues in in places like china where a a, a container to ship the shipping container is maybe Seven times the price of of the actual cost of the container. Yes. So so it's, from 2016, you're you're talking four thousand six hundred for a container from China to US, but from now China to US, it's thirty five thousand USD. So it's it's exponentially too expensive to build in China. So that means we can build here in Ireland and export to Europe to Ireland or in Ireland, but also as well, is a, there's a great uh, system now where I can export from Cork to Philadelphia port in 10 days. Crikey. So we, do you know, so it, there, there's, there's so many options, PJ, and it's all, it, all it is, is, is is thinking. And the thing is, the HSE know this, and I'm, I'm very impressed with the HSE from sitting with them. Mm. And really have am. you actually been asked to do anything for them other than think no. about it? No, no we, we were to come up with a, a plan for them, but no, they didn't need them for the surge capacity, thank God, with COVID. That's one sale I didn't want to, 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 to make anyway. Um, but uh, we, we haven't as of yet. But it, it, like, as we build up and as, as, as people see our work and that, I, I do see that coming as well. But yeah. I'm always open to, to anyone, from, from private medical to, to anyone, come to us and we provide a solution. Right. And you, you, do, you, you build your own containers and then you fit them out according to what the client wants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. we we had we German clients here before, uh, and they're coming back again, Touchwood in November, and um, for a very big project that which we do will be done in Cork. Crikey! As well. How many um, people are Seabox employing, Patrick? 
in Ireland, we have 16 full-time staff on, still hiring. So if anyone <laughs> wants a job, um, we we also have between 50 and 100 uh, subcontractors as well. All right. Listen, it's fabulous to see that not only can we do this, but we're doing it in Ireland and we're doing it in Cork and there's a Corkman at the helm. Great to see it. Patrick Hogan, he's the MD of the Seabox Group. And Seabox, literally what they are, they're containers, shipping containers, obviously highly specialised shipping containers that they can click together and make it into a hospital or make it into an emergency department or make it into anything you need. And we can do it here in Cork. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. And on the Best of Cork Awards, a reminder to you, voting has now indeed closed. We're counting, and it's a long and arduous task. It's a bit like being out in Nemo the day after a general election. It's a bit faster than that, but you know what I mean. Mind you, anything is a bit faster than that. A snail going backwards with a suitcase on its back is faster than that. But Stay listening this Friday to find out if your favourite has won. We'll be revealing the winners throughout the day. The best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths and more with a 12-month guarantee and all backed by Borgosh Energy on Cork's 96FM. Announcing the winners on Friday, 1850-715-996. You might have seen, even though he did take it down, you might have seen a very controversial social media post yesterday by a Cork City councillor. I'll be discussing that a little later. Uh, He has declined an invitation to be with us today, but I will be discussing it in another context uh, later on. But for now, last week we were hearing from the Department of Education and I stress that every time I bring this up I'm paraphrasing. We were hearing from the Department of Education that when your children go back to school that you nor they don't have a right to know which of their teachers are vaccinated or not. And that was just sitting in with her listeners last week. But now the Association of Secondary Teachers, which is the Secondary Teachers Trade Union, ASTI, they're raising concerns about pregnant teachers returning to classrooms where there are large numbers of unvaccinated or partially vaccinated students. Uh, pregnant women aged or whose pregnancy between 14 and 36 weeks have been offered a COVID vaccine. But some in earlier stages of pregnancy have expressed concerns about being in classrooms with unvaccinated students. Kevin Wall is the spokesman for ASTI in Cork. Kevin, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Do you know at any one time how many teachers would be in this position? Um, We don't have an exact figure, PJ, at the moment. Um, Members are just reporting this issue at the moment to the ASTI. Um, I would presume it's it's a fairly small cohort within the ASTI, but obviously a a bigger figure across the entire teaching population. uh, Like most people don't reveal their pregnancy in the first trimester, or is that the old way? Well, correct, PJ. Most people wouldn't announce a pregnancy until the 12-week scan. Um, So... The issue here is that um, pregnant teachers have been advised by NEFIT um, not 
to take a vaccine until 14 weeks of their pregnancy has elapsed. So effectively what we have is a very small cohort who, through no fault of their own, can't receive a vaccine and are going into schools, into, I suppose, crowded, overcrowded schools among a student cohort that isn't vaccinated. So there's a very high risk involved here. And what are you looking for for those people? Well, I suppose clarity is the first thing, PJ. We we are receiving mixed messages from from the HSE and also from Medmark. So what our members are reporting is that their consultants are deeming them and advising them not to return to work. Uh, but under the Occupational Health Service, the the Medmark people who are what, what's med- for the sake of a, a layperson, Kevin? What's Medmark? Medmark is the Occupational Health Service for public service employers, so they have their own. So let's say if you are are ill, you are referred to Medmark after a certain period for an independent assessment. So what's happening basically is that their own consultants, pregnant teachers, consultants are telling them that they're unsuitable for work but Medmark are telling them that they are suitable for work. So there's a mixed messaging here, and as you can imagine, PJ, this is causing huge stress. Right. So so I think the suggestion I'm hearing from the union, Kevin, is that if someone is in the very early stages of pregnancy, that they be allowed to stay off on full pay, is it, until they are vaccinated? Well, PJ, referring back to last April, I suppose when schools reopened, anybody at the time who was pregnant was offered a, a reasonable accommodation in terms of working remotely or assigned to alternative duties. So right. basically, we're calling on the Minister Norma Foley to look at this situation again. Um, one of her own Fianna Fáil colleagues, Senator Lisa Chambers, last Friday, has also asked her to review this situation it is a very small cohort, but a very important cohort. And, um, you know, it, it's not a forever thing. The, these pregnant teachers, once 14 weeks have elapsed, will be eligible for a vaccine. So mm. essentially... This, it would this involve issue. people being willing to declare their situation very early in pregnancy, wouldn't it? It will, it will. Um, but again, I think, look, because of the stress and anxiety that is involved for these teachers, I think they would be willing to disclose that. Um, and essentially, look, after 14 weeks, this this issue will, will, will flush itself out, for want of a better term, because then the teachers will be eligible for a vaccine. Have you had any response from the Minister's office? We've had none so far. Um, our General Secretary, Kieran Christie, has has uh, sought clarification on this from the Minister, but we haven't had an official response from her yet. Let me put to you the other discussion that we were having here last week, Kevin, and that is yeah. the, 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 that p- teachers will not be required to declare their vaccination status, even to the schools. So effectively that translates into the parents of school-going children not being entitled to know whether or not their teacher has been vaccinated. Is that fair? Well, I think it's a, a GDPR issue, PJ, to be honest with you. It's, it's, I mean, your medical status is, is a confidential matter uh, and your employer doesn't really have the right to, to seek uh, that information for you. No different to the fact... In the middle of a public health emergency, though, isn't that a, a, a valid exception to the, to the rule? I mean, what difference does it make if I know or not... That, that 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 someone's vaccinated in, in the classroom. But well, for managing of a school, and this is the point, for management of a school, for rostering of teachers, for allocation of particular teachers to particular classrooms, surely at least the principal 
who has to make those decisions should be entitled to know? I think it's a, it's a personal decision for every teacher whether they want to disclose that to, to a principal, but the, the principal would have no legal entitlement to that, to that information. No different, PJ, to the fact that we... But, but doesn't it somehow impede the principal in the performance of his or her duties? Um, no, PJ. I mean, look, there are protocols put in schools um, around social distancing. Um, risk assessments are carried out. We also have um, lead worker representatives in every school. So if there are issues or concerns, teachers can, can refer those to the LWR and, again, make the principal aware if that is their desire. Mm-hmm. But it's not a case that a principal has a legal entitlement to, yeah. to health information pertaining to their staff. You're, you're talking about a vulnerable cohort of teachers here this morning, and it's, yeah. a, valid, and it's a valid concern, and, yeah. and you've placed it out there. But equally so, Kevin, the parents of a vulnerable young person in a, in a school classroom who may have an underlying condition, etc., etc., they're not entitled to know if their youngster's teacher is vaccinated, so it really is one rule for you and one rule for the others. Well, no, it's not, PJ, really, because we don't. We as teachers don't have the right to know whether our students are vaccinated either, so we'll be going into classrooms even if we are vaccinated, placing ourselves at risk um, when there are 12 to 18-year-olds who may have elected not to take the vaccine, but we have no right to determine or seek that information from parents either. So you can't have one rule for one and a different rule for somebody else. Mm. Um, that's that's not acceptable. Look, Isn't it a bit pedantic to be relying on all this old GDPR bunkum anyway in the middle of a public health emergency? Look, PJ, I mean, obviously during the pandemic, the government have made exceptions around, um, around I suppose, general equality law. I know there have been huge issues around access to indoor facilities and COVID vaccination and whether it's a breach of equality law, etc. And I mean, look, the government have stated across not just the teaching uh, profession, but across the entire um, employment population that an employer uh, doesn't have the right to seek that information. Now, if those rules change, obviously our union will sit down with the government and discuss that. But mm. at the moment, that is the guidance from, from the government. And you know, Does the union have a particular standpoint on whether it agrees or not? Well, at the moment, we do agree with it. Um, you know, at the moment we do, yes. Okay. All right, leave it there. Kevin, thank you. Kevin Wall, spokesperson for the Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland in Cork, 1850-715-996. So teachers in the very early stages of pregnancy, uh, the ASTI would like an accommodation for them until such time as they can be vaccinated. What would you think of that? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie All the stars on one show. Yo, what's up, it's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. With New Market Motors Volkswagen. Low rate finance and purchase contributions across the Volkswagen van range. Newmarketvolkswagen.ie. Courts 96 FM. So we did reach out to uh, Independent Councillor Ken O'Flynn uh, asking him would he 
be prepared to discuss his controversial social media post yesterday. But he declined that invitation, as is his right. But he posted a photograph of a plane load of men. And he said that checks and balances need to be put in place to ensure that the people coming in are genuine. Now, the picture turned out to be old, well and truly out of date. In fact, it was taken back in 2018. When that was pointed out to him, he said, well, it was an honest mistake on his part, but he stood over his comments. And he said that he found it sad and depressing that the snowflakes of society have decided to call him a racist. This is from the comments he made to Own English and the Examiner. Now, last evening, uh, Dr. Amanola de Sunday at UCC said in twi- on Twitter he extended an invite to our Cork councillor to my classes to better understand Sharia. The situation in Afghanistan brings back the most ridiculous Islamophobia and that we need better educated Irish politicians. And Dr. Sunday is Head of Religions, Senior Lecturer in Contemporary Islam and Chair of Race Equality at UCC. Good morning, Amon. Good morning, how are you? Good to speak with you again. The po- you, you, what would you like to tell Ken O'Flynn or any other co- politician who was expressing those kind of views yesterday? I think, uh, look, let's, let's, be, let's be fair here. Uh, there, there, is a, there is a fear. People are afraid. Um, we've, we've been programmed to a certain extent um, to react in a way when we hear the word Taliban. It's, you know, we've seen um, very um, uh, negative forms of religion when it comes to the Taliban. So people are worried. People are concerned. But what it also does is it brings out the most generalised views of an entire religion and how they actually, you know, live their lives. At the very core of this of this post that you saw from the councillor was the idea of Sharia. Sharia, like, you know, is is a way of trying to understand how Muslims try to do good. It is connected to both Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are connected because they're, they're religions of text. Right? So they're trying to make sense of how to live a good life. Now, when it comes to the Taliban, they have their own interpretation of what it means to live a good life. But what is really, really important is that there is another way of looking at Islam that the Taliban don't agree with. So you have this internal diversity that I think is often reduced to very blanket, generalised statements about Islam and Muslims, which are very dangerous. I suppose if you were to see an A4 page, Amon, of Mm. the the things that the Taliban believe, so in other words, write down ten things Mm. that the Taliban believe, it's a frightening read. It is. But again, I, I, I I can't state this enough. There's always an alternative view. So you see, even within, if I, I keep going back to example, so look at, for example, the Catholic social tradition, which would be the closest thing um, that would connect ethics and Christian understanding of God, you know, the intersections of faith, uh, social issues in everyday life. Now, we know within Catholic communities, there's a lot of disagreement. That is exactly the same within Muslim communities as well. Mm. The, the, a lot of Muslims would disagree with that form 
of understanding of Islamic law that the Taliban are trying to uphold. So within Afghanistan, you ha- you've had for a very long time lots of individuals, grassroots organizations, activists, politicians who will counter that particular form of Islam. And I think that that is very, very important to place within the context of this. There's other, there's other issues. I'm, I'm giving you really a very, very quick uh, overview Indeed. of this. Indeed. But Indeed. it is a very, very complex issue. I'm just really worried that we reduce things to in very, very simplistic terms. And, they, and, and we know that words can be weaponized and they can hurt individuals, they can hurt entire communities and Islamophobia must be countered. We really do expect better from our elected politicians um, and if they're, if they're not able to offer diverse and inclusive views, we really do need to, to question that. We, you know, they, they, are, they, are, they should be held accountable on that. But there's always alternative views. I'm not come on to your radio station to tell you that everything is hunky-dory and that the vast, mm-hmm. every single Muslim on this planet no. is a is, you know, uh, an absolutely loving, you know... Uh, oh, to be fair to you, you have always made that point. Always, always, always made that, that point. Do you I've know? always tried... Because, PG, if you, if you don't do that, I feel it's a disservice, you know, that, to say that everybody, everybody is good or everybody is bad. We just, need, we just need to be able to see a much bigger picture. And I hope that we're all on the same page. We want to be law-abiding. We want to be loving. We want to care for our neighbour... And we want to thrive in difference. If you, if you make a comparison, mm. and it's just a comparison, go back 20, 30, 40 mm. years. Yeah. The attitude of the Catholic Church and, the, and elements of the Catholic faith mm-hmm. to women and mm. their children outside yeah. of wedlock. Yeah. Do you know... We would look at that and go, hey. Nobody comes out of this. Nobody comes out of this well. Look, you to- we're, we're talking about Taliban. We associate the Taliban with violence. Judaism, Christianity and, and Islam have all talked about just war. They have long, long histories, long, long theology, you know, in-depth theologies about how to go to war justly. We talk about the Crusades, we talk about Jihad, we talk about all of it. So it's really important to kind of step back a little bit and spend a little bit of time trying to understand this. Look, there is, a, there is an urgency for our education because there is a real worry and there's a real worry for Afghanis who are in Afghanistan. Yeah. So let's support them. Let's try to think, you know, try to play you know, get them to tell us how they're feeling about this, how yeah. they're trying to interpret it. And I hope that we just, we, we, I hope that our politicians, especially in Ireland, will take a little bit of time to educate themselves before throwing out these very dangerous generalizations. Yeah. And I think the vast majority do. But the ones who, who, who don't, we should stand up and hold, hold them accountable because they are our elected officials and this is our city of Cork that we want to be inclusive and diverse. I, I, I spoke yesterday to two men um, from Afghanistan who are living in Cork and one of them wept as he said that oh. his hope would be that people would not meet him and his friends in the street and think they are Taliban. Yeah. And this does yeah. not help that. No. It doesn't. It doesn't. And that, that's, that, I mean, that's just heartbreaking, isn't it? Like, I, I feel emotional listening to that. I, as an academic, as a Muslim, I worry. I, I, I say this all the time when, I, when you in, in, interview me as well. I have huge privilege. I have platforms. I can react. I can respond. Think about your, the, the individual on the street. 
our Muslims, we are trying to make our streets, our country, you know, hospitable, trying to welcome them. Think about them. Try, I'm not saying take away your critical, you know, inquiries. Ask the questions, but also be aware that sometimes we have to fight. The way we formulate a question is very, very important as well. That's what we do at the university. Yeah. But I think generalizations don't help anybody. Ask the difficult questions. What do the Taliban stand for? What are they expected to do? What is the, Do it. But let's do it in a way where we're trying to build, we're trying to build bridges between us and not alienate and vilify and create these monsters. Yeah. Let me play for you a clip um, oh. from, from someone I think you know, uh, Natasha Underhill, or Drummy, as she, you know her now. Uh, she's a, an expert on the development of terrorism and that kind of thing in far-flung parts of the world. And she was on with me yesterday talking about the Taliban, the emergence of the Taliban and the fears that people have about the Taliban. And, and the subject of refugees came up. And, and, and here's just a clip of that. And I'd like your comments afterwards. Like we saw with the plane, someone is desperate enough to leave a country by hanging on to a plane that's taking off. We could never imagine that kind of desperation. Some people might fear, well, okay, the women and children, we, we give them shelter, but, but how do we know that the other guys won't sneak in under the guise of a refugee? I mean, the easy answer is we can't know. There is no way for us to know these things. But if you're going by that mentality, we would never help anybody. You know, I think we just have to, to, to take the fact that these people are desperate for their lives and... If we take in a hundred and we might get one bad one, I, I, I think it's a risk that we're going to have to, to, to balance up and kind of address internally as, as a nation state. But I do think you're right. Women and children really do need to be the priority at the moment, especially with the history of the Taliban and the way that they've treated women. What, what would you say to that? Well, I, I, it's, it's exactly, you know, I, I totally agree. It's, you, you really can't cross bridges before we get to them. Um, we, I, I, I would, I'm, maybe, maybe I'm being naive, but I'd like to think that everybody has, has good within them. You know, even, uh, you know, a lot of my friends said, oh my gosh, this, this local councillor was this, that, and the other thing. I said, look, I'd like to think that as a local councillor, he's probably done some good things as well. So you like to think, I like to think of a much more optimistic picture. Absolutely, but we must be careful. I, you know, and I think that the, the checks and balance whatever that means at mm. the governmental level will be put into place yeah. but like we the, must the, the, the error with the photo um, mm. he, he acknowledged that yeah. he, he did acknowledge that yeah. but coming back to his I suppose substantial point yeah. that verifying that people coming in are, are not yeah. of a background we wouldn't want them to be shall we yeah. say yeah. look I'm, 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 I'm one of the directors at NASC and, and one of the things that we, 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 you know, we are committed to are, are, is the plight of refugees and, and you know people don't leave their, their country unless they feel in harm people don't want to leave look I'm, I'm, the, I'm the son of immigrants who came to Glasgow in, in the, the 50s and 60s my parents Never, they wanted to always go back to Pakistan. That was their homeland. But they were, you know, for all sorts of reasons, they decided to settle in Glasgow and here I am in court. So people leave. I mean, it's such a big thing. And actually, we know this. Mm. <laughs> Look, we've, we've, we have a history of this here in Ireland. We know what outward migration means. And in NASC, um, yeah. now that you mention it, like, is there a consciousness within oh. NASC 
Yeah. That that somebody undesirable might attempt to sneak in on. I don't the know radar. what this undesire. I don't know what that means. I don't know what what it would look like. It's very difficult because again, I think what this does is that there's a psychology behind this. So once you start going down that narrative, it immediately mm. you know triggers in our mind all sorts of things. Oh gosh, we're going to have Taliban here. I saw somebody posted a picture and said, oh the Taliban are going to end up in the British Parliament if we let them in. I'm like, what? What is this? They're, That's nonsense. Women and children, and there are individuals who are going through very, very desperate situation. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget those individuals, women, children, those who are who are on the on the uh, who are queer people who are from the LGBTQ community in Afghanistan. They're going through a very very tough time right now. Let's be inclusive. Let's open our arms and let's educate ourselves on what what's mm. really going on. In turn, I suppose the undesirable, the word undesirable, would be I suppose a person who'd be coming here with. With possibly of a mind to continue their fight, as it were, on this side of the world. I hope not. And and if that is, I I hope that every single one of my fellow Muslims would stand up and say this is unacceptable. And I would I would like to believe that we have enough of a of a standard of of law of legislation that would that would you know stop that happening. I I want I want to be optimistic here. I want to think mm. positively. I want to think in a way that we that that we don't lose sight of our Irish welcome. Okay, okay. Dr. Amanullah Desunder, Head of Religions, Senior Lecturer in Contemporary Islam, Chair of Race Equality Agency, and owner, if I may say publicly for the first time, owner of one of the most beautiful cats on social media. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Eddie Reader is perhaps Scotland's greatest living female voice and in 2022 she celebrates her 40th year on stage with a 40 years live concert tour. The tour comes to the Everyman Theatre on Valentine's Day next with tickets for the show on sale now. Access all areas. The Great Beyond is a new two-day festival with live music and comedy in the stunning surrounds of Balnacurra House Kinsale. It takes place on Saturday, September 11th and Sunday the 12th with acts taking to the two stages including Bell X1, Lisa Hannigan, The Frank and Walters and Wallace Bird. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM Cork's 96FM Backing the Rebels all the way to the All-Ireland Final Quick reminder to your Premier League Live back Saturday at 96fm.ie with uh, Trevor Welsh, all powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage this weekend of Liverpool against Burnley at 12.30, Leeds against Everton at 3, and Brighton face Watford at half past 5. It's the Premier League Live online with now. Stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Caller says, I'm pregnant myself. Where are we now? Uh, I'm pregnant myself and the only option my employer gave me is health and safety leave. 
It's frustrating to hear that pregnant women have been left in a situation where they feel uncomfortable. This is about the young teachers. Working from home is no longer an option. I understand the teachers' concerns, but they're making it seem like it's just them. All of us are on the same boat in our workplace. GDPR, my eye, such a load of bunkum. We all need to get vaccinated in order to have any chance of normality. And everyone needs to get over it. Crikey, those teachers are vulnerable, no doubt. So inform their bosses when they're pregnant and get vaccinated. That's from L. Maeve says, wouldn't teachers be of an age where they would have been vaccinated already? Some of them might be, Maeve, yeah, some of them would have been, but not all. Am I missing something with pregnant teachers, asks Patricia. If they're not vaccinated now, I presume it's by choice. They've had loads of opportunity. Well said, PJ Rubbish, we are in a pandemic. This is... uh, 1857 15996. Uh, Carmel says it's bad form of the city businesses and the city council that there's no bunting up to support the rebel hurling teams. If you look at Limerick, they've sure got behind their team. Come on, Cork, let's get behind our hurlers. Corkig Abu. Yeah, well, we, 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 that's why we're trying to get people here at 96 of We're trying to encourage people to decorate the homes and to decorate their businesses and send us in the pictures on WhatsApp to 083 396 96 and we'll have 500 euro for a business and 500 euro for a house at the end of the week for the best home decoration and we also have a precious pair of tickets for the All-Ireland Final thanks to Borgosh Energy proud sponsor of the GA Hurling All-Ireland Senior Championship and Legends Tour Series at Croke Park. So watch app, WhatsApp those pictures into us at 083 396 On Tom, uh, our case numbers are far lower than last summer, PJ, and we could drink and eat indoors. Oh, Tom, they're not. Oh, dear me, Tom, our case numbers are... No way. No way are they uh, lower than last summer. In fact, they are, by many multiples of what they were last summer, Tom. But thanks for your text. And Brian says with regard to Islamophobia, I forgot to say that Ken did apologise for his mistake. No, I didn't. No, I didn't, Brian. I, in fact, quoted the article from the examiner uh, where he spoke to own English. If you like, I'll read the quote again. Uh, When it was pointed out that the photograph was taken in 2018, Mr. O'Flynn subsequently posted a clarification saying it was an honest mistake but he said he stood over his comments. So, there you go. I did say that, Brian. I'm happy to repeat it if you didn't hear it the first time. 1850-715-996. We all know about fat shaming. We're all familiar with the fat shaming thing. And we know what it is. And we know the various forms in which it comes. And, and it takes many forms. But would you ever have thought that skinny shaming was the thing? It is. I wouldn't have, to be quite honest. You can't compare it, I suppose, in many ways to fat shaming, but it's there, and it can be very detrimental. Sarah Lyons is a body confidence coach. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very well, thanks. This is making derogatory comments about how thin somebody is. Less common, I would imagine. Um, Less common, but it is there and it can have um, detrimental effects on uh, the people on the receiving end of it because, as you said, we know about fat shaming and they are 
two completely different issues. But unfortunately, they do have similar outcomes for the person and they can affect their mental health and their self-esteem and their self-worth. So it seems to be coming to the fore in the last uh, last little while that skinny shaming is there. Mm. We, we might not recognise that someone who is very thin is uncomfortable with that. Exactly, because we tend to focus on people in larger bodies and the fat shaming element, but body shaming for any reason is unacceptable. And just because someone is a little bit thinner or in a slimmer body doesn't mean that they're not, you know, comfortable with those comments because our words are so um, powerful. And when we are shaming someone because they're so thin, you know, we have to bear in mind that we don't know that person's backstory. We don't know how they are going to take it. We don't know what's going on with that person. And it's just unacceptable. And that whole element of body shaming needs to um, Mm. to stop, basically. Yeah. There's a thing as well that we we would now know that it's not acceptable to to say to someone, and uh, forgive me for using this term, mm-hmm. move over, fatso. Like, we, we would never say that to somebody now, ever. But we would yeah. still think it's funny to say, Christ, if you stu- stu- stood sideways, you'd be marked absent. Each yeah. one to the person involved is yeah. hurtful. And we, we don't get that concept sometimes. No, no, we don't. Because we, we think that um, it's somehow okay to say those things. Um but when we are saying those to someone that is quite slim, you know, it's it's making them feel that there is something wrong with them, that there is something wrong with their body, that they're not living up to, you know, an ideal body that we have in society. And it's not acceptable to comment on anyone's body. Yeah. At all. Yeah. The best response really is to say nothing and never raise the point, the point. Ne- never comment on another person's body shape or size or, or demeanour, as it were? Um, yeah, I absolutely believe that. I mean, when we're commenting on someone's body, we're, sent, we're objectifying them. We're reducing them to an object that can be commented on and critiqued. But we have to take into the whole person. You know, it's, it's about the whole person and their feelings, their emotions, their abilities rather than just focusing on what their body looks like. So if you can't say anything, I suppose, nice, don't say anything at all. But even when we say nice things, we mean them as in compliments, or you've lost weight, or you're looking great, you're so thin. They're not acceptable either. I was going to get to that. You you got there ahead of me. So, So someone that you know, that you always knew to be a particular shape, shall we say, Mm-hmm. You meet them after a period of time. And this is happening a lot in, in, in COVID, Sarah, because we genuinely don't see people for exactly. for weeks and months on end. Yeah. And, and and someone, you look at someone and they've changed. And it is normal to say, Crikey, you've lost a bit of weight. You're looking well. But that's a, is that a negative in itself? Yes, I, I think it is. Because when we look at ourselves and we receive those comments that, oh, you've lost the weight. It's almost like that you weren't good enough before. So, 
you know, it, it, it's it's an, a negative because if that person starts to think, oh, well, I'm only good enough because I've lost the weight, then that can bring up negative and, and feelings See, for the person. I suppose the way we might look at it, Sarah, and I'm coming at it now from a point of total ignorance here, so forgive me. Mm-hmm. So, so when you see someone you've not seen in a long time and they have lost quite an amount of weight and to you they look fit uh, like yeah. I know in my heart that it takes a lot of hard work effort and willpower to change yourself like that so if I say oh Craig you're looking well you lost a bit of weight there I'm complimenting them but can they can that be misread um, it can. Most people will take it as a compliment. Yes, we we like to be complimented. There's we know no the work that went into it. You know, as exactly. any as, as anyone yeah. who's tried to lose a couple of pounds, and God knows I have myself. It's yeah. hard work. It is, and it takes commitment, and it takes a mind mindset shift, and it's 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 all those things. But just to comment on the physical, you know, shape of someone. Just maybe even say, oh, you you seem like you've done a lot of work on yourself. You know, well done. Rather than just saying, you've lost a lot of weight. You look so well now. Yeah. The best, Rather, thing, the best thing to say really, Sarah, isn't it, is to say nothing. Just, it, well, it, we do like to, to receive compliments. There's so the thing, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in one sense, it's just not to comment on it all the time or make a big deal out of it because... If someone has been put in that effort, as you said, that wants to, they want that to be recognised as well. That's our human nature. Yeah. So I think just to take the focus away from how they they look, but you know, you've been working on yourself. You you um, seem in great form. You've just you know you seem happier. You're looking well. You're looking well, rather than saying, "Oh, you've lost so much weight. You look great." You know, so you're attributing that just to losing the weight. But as you said, you know, that takes effort, that takes um, commitment. So they've put their heart and soul into this, to changing themselves. And sometimes when we're changing ourselves like that, we might be doing it for other reasons other than ourselves. But, you know, when we're in those kind of weight loss journeys, it has to be for ourselves Mm. rather than to please other people or to fit into a perfect body. And I think lastly um, we, we should all know as adults now uh, the the danger of making any comments like these in the presence of children or two oh. children. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because what we say even though we think they're not listening they're absorbing everything and if we're critiquing other people's bodies or criticising our own bodies they will pick up on that there and my main thing is not to criticize yourself in front of your children because that's how they learn that about their body so even if you're not feeling it try and just be more positive about your body around your children because you don't want to pass on your insecurities to them Okay. All right. Good to talk to you. That's Sarah Lyons, body confidence coach on the topic of skinny shaming. We've heard of fat shaming, but skinny shaming is a thing. I heard a person greeted one time with the line, what happened to the rest of you? And it was very unfortunate because uh, 
the answer that came back was, well, cancer will do that to you. So, you know, be careful. God's sake, don't say anything. Unless someone brings the conversation on their weight up to you, you have no right to do it yourself. Bernie says, I had an operation and due to it, I lost a bit of weight. Commenting on people was mad. Would you want to put a bit of weight there, you? It's just ignorant, commenting on someone's weight, as you never know the reason. And uh, CB says, glad to hear you covering skinny shaming. I've faced this all my life. I'm 43. Fat shaming is unacceptable, but skinny shaming is fine. Faces with symbols over their mouth, for example. Well, oh, sorry, that's an emo- Oh, sorry. Do you know what that... that sometimes our machine here, if you put an emote, I should tell you. Sometimes uh, in a, twi- a tweet, if you put in an emoji, our, it comes up on our machine as a translation of what the emoji is supposed to look like. Sorry about that. So, fat shaming is, un- is unacceptable in society, but skinny shaming is fine. People are allowed to celebrate weight loss, but not any weight gain. If I got above six stone, it's a big deal for me, but I got disgusting comments. And a caller says, I'm delighted to finally hear someone covering the topic of skinny shaming. As someone who's quite thin and struggles to put on weight, I find it difficult to deal with often wearing extra layers to add some bulk to me. But then if I gain anything, people notice I feel bad about that too. As it's like they were confirming I was too thin to begin with. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying you're looking great instead of you're looking thin. And that's probably the best way. If you meet someone who has um, who has lost a bit of weight, best to say you're looking well. Graham says, hold on. Graham says, ah, come on. Fat shaming is an obvious negative. But complimenting someone on having lost weight is a bad thing. I'm down 64 kilograms, 6 kilograms, sorry, in the last two months. And feckin' happy out about it. Comment away says Graham. But Graham, would you prefer, Christ Graham, you've lost a lot of weight, or Jenny Graham, you're looking well. Which would you prefer, Graham? Realistically, honestly, which would you prefer? Jenny Graham, you're looking great, boy, you're looking great. Or, Jesus, Graham, you lost a lot of weight. Which would you prefer? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, so Graham came back with an answer to my question. First of all, he said, Akmana that now, he says, fat shaming is an obvious negative, but complimenting someone on having lost weight, that's a bad thing now. I'm down six kilos in the past two months and I'm happy out about it. Comment away, says Graham. To which my response was, well, Graham, which would you be happier with? Jesus, Graham, you got very thin and you lost a pile of weight. Or, Graham, you're looking well. Which one would you prefer? And he came straight back and he said, well, happy out with either. Then again, I was always kind of like that. Thanks, Graham couple more. This is actually engaging people more than I thought. Ran into a former female co-worker I hadn't seen in several years. We had a short chat 
Then I said completely innocently, congratulations, by the way, when is the baby due? To which she replied, I'm not pregnant. I was never more mortified in my life. True story, says Jar. Yeah, that could be awkward. I can imagine you could cut the atmosphere in that room with a knife, Jar. I think it's happened to a lot of people. That when, when, ah, congratulations, when are you due? I'm not pregnant. Yeah, yeah. PJ, I lost seven and a half stone. And now the people who were criticising me for carrying too much, I, I read that. They're the same people who are saying I'm too thin. Then there's this one. Uh, there's a huge difference in society. It's not hard for people who are thin. Yes, they probably have a personal struggle, and I'm not taking away from that. But as a child growing up, I was overweight. Every TV show, magazine, book, or friends all told me that weight was not society. My weight was not society's acceptable look. I know that's not the point, and people of all sizes feel insecure. They're entitled to that. There are more barriers for people on the overweight side. Simple as that. And here's one on WhatsApp. I lost 30 kilograms since the start of June. That's a lot of weight. June, July. I ho- I'm assuming that's June 2020 rather than June 2021. Anyway, I lost 30 kilograms since the start of June. I went to my dietitian and they told me I could begin doing more. What do you do with that? I, 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 I'd be inclined to change my dietitian. You're losing weight that fast. I mean, if it's 30k, maybe that listener could let us know on WhatsApp. Is that since this year or last year because it's kind of confusing but your dietitian I wouldn't know what you should do there 1850-715-996 Sinn Féin have published a policy document on gambling given and they recognise in the executive summary that we have a huge problem with gambling in this country now that's not news it's not exactly earth-shattering discovery that we have a huge problem with gambling in this country. But Sinn Féin has gone and put together a policy document which makes a number of recommendations. And their spokesman on such things is Cork TD, uh, Thomas Gould. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning, TJ. And look, we we know there's a problem. Um, A couple of your recommendations, I'll go through them. But one in particular, I think I heard reported in the news, you want it to be banned or the use of credit cards in gambling, you want them banned. Is that right? Yes. I'm going to bring forward legislation, PJ, in the autumn, which would look to ban excuse me, credit cards because people are gambling with money they don't have. Mm-hmm. Like, PJ, the vast majority of people in Ireland who gamble do it for fun and entertainment and it's not an issue. And we're not looking to stop that, you know, because gambling is actually part of Irish culture. But the problem here is people who have problem gambling, gambling addiction, and young people who are vulnerable. And what we're seeing is one simple thing, and it's one of just one of the issues we have, or one of the recommendations, is to ban credit card use. Because people are gambling with money they don't have. And we don't think that's right. And what we're doing is you see people then going into debt. Uh, and that shouldn't be allowed. If people want to gamble money they have in their pocket, uh, that's their own choice, but they shouldn't be allowed to get into debt by gambling. It's online that most of the credit card gambling goes on. Are you suggesting that to operate in this country, an online gambling outlet would only accept, say, a debit card or a revolute yes. card? And, and PJ, they do this in, in England, and actually 
uh, earlier this year, the National Lottery have stopped people using credit cards for uh, for using the online National Lottery. So we know that this exists in other countries, and we know with the technology that's there today, this is something that can be done. And what you're doing then is you're protecting vulnerable people from going into debt because people have been contacted me, and I'm meeting with loads of groups. I'm actually meeting with another group today in relation to addiction. People tell me about the suffering that families have gone through. Yeah. There was one lady told me how they nearly lost the family home because of the husband's yeah. gambling addiction. Yeah. No, no, I've spoken to so many people whose lives have been destroyed by gambling addiction because it's the one where you're never sick. It's the one where you're never hung over. It's the, it's the invisible one. And the thing about it, PJ, like, we, we've certainly seen an increase, and the figures bear this out during COVID-19, more and more people gambling online. But the other thing that we notice, PJ, is that the gambling companies are targeting young people and people at risk. And one, one of the other things we want to do is ban online advertising between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. In other words, pre-watershed. So any gambling ads have to be after 9 o'clock at night. Because what you have... It's impossible to do that online, though, isn't it? Well, you no, do it on air, but you can't do it online. Well, what we can do is we can... Any company that wants to trade in Ireland online or in stores must commit to this. And PJ, England brought out these, this legislation 15 years ago. Mm. Like we, there's excellent legislation. So you're suggesting for, for argument's sake, and the way social media watches you now, I guess we all, we all know that. So if I happen, for example, to be reading from the Paddy Power or any other online betting, Boyle Sport, any one of them, if I happen to be reading from a betting website, say, to research something for work, okay? Yeah. The next thing happens, and when I go on social media in 10 minutes' time, it knows yeah. I've been looking at that website and I'll get an ad. You want to ban that? Yes. Yes, because of... They're specifically targeting you. And what you also see, PJ, is they're saying you see sign-up bonuses. If you sign up to this company, this betting company, you might get 20 or 30 or 40 euros free sign-up bonus, or you might get free bets or matching bets. We want to ban all of that. If a person wants to go online and gamble, that's fine. That's their choice. But what we don't want is these big gambling companies that are making hundreds of millions targeting people if people want to do it, it should be their choice. They shouldn't be targeted. PJ, if anyone, like, I have two daughters myself who are on social media, right? And a lot of your listeners probably seen this with their own children and their own social media. These companies targeted people during the lockdown on social media. And we see in the European soccer championships that were on recently, yeah. the 23% of all ads on that yeah. I must say there was a spectacular television ad during the Europeans. I think I mentioned it here in the air one. It was it was drums, people playing drums, and it was obviously it was computer generated, but it was brilliant and it got mounted and up to a massive crescendo. And I was kind of disappointed at the end to realise this is a gambling ad. Yes, yeah. Because here I am watching a magnificent piece of advertising, sounds and looks brilliant, and oh, it's a gambling ad. But you see, PJ, they've got, they are making so much money from gambling at the moment that they can really invest major money in these gambling ads to take out prime time, uh, prime time ad slots when people are sitting down with their families. Like a lot of people would have watched the Euros. No, not everyone, but a lot of people. And what we are saying, it shouldn't happen before the watershed and it shouldn't be targeted at children. 
One of the statistics we have from a European uh, research is that there are 3,400 young people in Ireland between 15 and 16 who have problem gambling. Yeah. Now, I raised this with the Minister Helen McEntee at the time, and she told me that gambling is illegal for under-18s. Well, it might be illegal for under-18s, but under-18s are still gambling, mm. and the government is doing nothing. Which, which is why you want to have age verification for gambling activity online. That hits a major problem, Thomas, because what happens is, we all know they do, when it comes to Facegram, or Facebook, 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 Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, you name, you name it, people lie about their age. Can't yes, stop that. Would you believe, PJ? But when, when I was discussing this with my wife, that was the first thing she said to me. She said, you know, when young people sign up in particular, they, they lie about their age. But PJ, these are big companies making millions, if not hundreds of millions, right? They have the technology to do this. At the moment, if you're under age, you can sign up. And you're given 72 hours to verify. We're saying that should be stopped. If you want to sign up to a gambling, online gambling, you must prove and verify your account before you can place a bet. Like, you could spend a lot of money in 72 hours and you're underage. And PJ, just to let you know, there was legislation drafted in 2013 by the government. And it was, it was revised again in 2018. And still, it's, it's eight years later we don't have it. But how would you I propose to... to solve a problem that me- megaliths like Facebook and TikTok can't? You see, Peter, what we need is we need a gambling control bill, which the government have promised work that, and that's why we brought out this document to try to force the government to act. No, no, I get that, and... Thomas. I, I get it. I get what you want to do. I do, and I want to talk more, say, about the play scan system, because I like that idea. But I think to put into a piece of legislation that age verification can be somehow written into law when TikTok can't do it, Facebook can't do it, Twitter can't do it, Instagram can't do it. Do you get my meaning? It's, yes, it's not but, something that can be done. Well, please, can I say this though? It's done, it's done in England. It's, it flew flying over across the water and the English have very strong... But what they did is they have a regulator for 15 years and any time new technology comes on board, they yeah. just... But how they do they prove in England, over. how do they prove in, in England that someone who purports to be 19 is 14? Well, I put it this way, Peter, we have the new electoral register coming on board and there's a lot of work that I'm on the housing committee and that's part of it. And what we're trying to do is to prove... Well, people turn 18 that they go on the electoral register so they could vote. So it would be possible either to work with the data protection company and the electoral register, or data protection uh, commissioner and the electoral commissioner to see if that's something okay. we could use. But also, PJ, like you've got your passport, you have your driving license. There, there are there are pieces of, of ID. So you're you suggesting that, that those kind of things need to be produced before you get an account, which I guess is definitely one way one way of doing. And PJ, like you've had people on with you, the, the stories. Like, it's heartbreaking well, stories, it is, and it is, as you said, no a lot of this people don't see. And no. what we are saying is, we're not going to solve all the problems here, but would you believe there is no education program in, in, the, in the state to educate children against gambling and the harms? And that and definitely needs no, to be done. Definitely and we have no counselling. It's, it's, it's based in the Department of Justice, and we, what we're saying is, anyone with an addiction or a problem gambling, it should be in health and it should be treated with, uh, as, as an addiction. Talk to me briefly about the play scan system that operates in Sweden. Now, that's an interesting one you want to brought in here. Yes. 
And what that does, PJ, is it monitors players online, how long they're online, how much money they're spending online, and then it would send them a message to say that uh, you, you know, you're spending too much time or too long on the... So what it does, it, it monitors a person's usage. But would you believe there is a type of system like that already with the National Lottery in place? Mm-hmm. So, like, like, we have some companies that are trying to be proactive. So we know that it does work. So we see it in Sweden, we see it in the National Lottery, and what that would do is, if you were on gambling, let's say, for 8 or 10 or 12 hours or 6 or 4 or 6 hours, uh, the gambling regulator would bring in professionals that would give uh, what they would consider an amount of time or money that being spent that would be helpful. And then that would be monitored. Okay, so you might might just be, be tight and say, listen, mind how much you're gambling there. Okay. Last one on this. I have one more thing to ask you. Um, here's a message. Jesus, more molly coddling. What about personal responsibility? I know it must be terrible for people involved with the problem. What about the thousands of people that use this facility without any issues? It makes no difference to them, PJ. That, that's the thing about this. For anyone who wants to gamble, what we're proposing makes no difference to them. What we are aiming this at is number one, young people and families being targeted by adverts and online and social media. And the other thing we know, PJ, is some of the apps where children, they're so advanced, they're designing the ads and the apps to lull young people into gambling slowly through the... And what we want to do is stop that. We also want to do is we want to put a levy on these uh, betting companies a percentage of their profits would go back in to provide mm-hmm. counselling, to provide training. That's what they do in England. That's what they do in New Zealand. Like, there's a lot of countries around the world have done this. And what we are trying to do is pick the best things okay. from legislation around the world. And, and PJ, I think people want it. I think people see during COVID how they were being targeted either online or on oh, the yeah. telly. And I've spoken to so many families destroyed by, by a person's gambling because it's so easy to hide it until you can't hide it anymore. And we'll see where this goes. Certainly the, the report is an interesting one, the recommendations are interesting, and we'll come back to it. Thomas, briefly before I let you go, uh, you and I have talked many times over the last couple of months with regard to South Dock, the, the north side South Dock. September was the next date we heard. Anything further? Would you believe, PJ, we contacted the HSE last week looking for a confirmation that everything's on track to open on the 6th of September, and I wait for confirmation. But I would say this now, PJ, to you and to your listeners, uh, we have an orange-clad guarantee from South Dock and from the HSE that that will open. And if that will op- it doesn't open on the day it's supposed to, we'll be launching a major campaign and protest because the people of the north side are sick to their teeth with South Dock and the HSE. OK, leave it there for now, and we'll talk again, no doubt about that and other things. Interesting policy document. I had a read of it this morning. There's a lot in it. Um, I, I'm not too sure that they can do this thing with the uh, age verification. People lie about their age on all sorts of different platforms. If they can, great. If they can, great. But it's uh, certainly worth a read. 1850-715-996. And as he said to the person who says, what about personal responsibility? For the thousands of people who are able to gamble for fun, this won't make a blind bit of difference. It's a bit like all the changes that they make in, in, the, in the drinking law and this change in 
pricing that we're going to have to deal with in, in, a, in a few months' time, whether you agree with it or not, for, for most people, it won't make a huge bit of difference. It won't make a blind bit of difference to most people. It's those with a problem you're trying to target. 1850-715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Marymount's Mizzen to Malin virtual cycle is underway. You have until October 31st to complete the 600km virtual cycle and help raise vital funds for Marymount University Hospital and Hospice. Sign up to complete the route which can all be done from your local area, logging your daily kilometres as you go. To register and for more information, see marymount.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Here's a sad story from the world of television and showbiz and comedy. Sean Locke. Uh, he's one of the people on 8 out of 10 cats and 8 out of 10 cats does countdown, which is just so, so funny. He's died. Uh, his agent has told Press Association... Uh, it's more than only 58, a fairly young man. Uh, Sean Locke uh, of 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. It's such a funny show. He's right. Uh, really sad news from the world of showbiz. 1850 715 I don't know about you, I love watching tennis. I always have done and I love to watch the big tournaments and some of the small tournaments as well. Wimbledon would be my favourite. But I've often commented over the years here and whenever I'm talking to friends how the game has changed uh, from the days of Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe and Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King and all those. And one way the game has changed is the racket. The racket that they use. Um, it, it's a totally different piece of kit now. Uh, the names I've used there, they all played with mostly just plain wooden old-fashioned rackets, and it was a much, much different game. There's now a move-on worldwide. I heard this thing discussed uh, during one of the tournaments I was watching. It was being discussed by the uh, commentary panel a year or two ago about bringing back the old rackets and bringing back the old skills and setting up a competition played with old rackets and embracing the old skills of the game. Not only is it happening... But here in Cork, we're going to have a tournament in September at uh, Douglas Lawn Tennis Club. It's the Wood Tennis Club, and it's the it's a wood tennis event. Mike Ryan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How I are can you? remember the old days, and the game has changed. Not saying it's a worse game or a diff, but it's just a different game. But the thoughts of playing tennis with wood again, like what what is the huge difference with the wood and and the new rackets nowadays? It's it's about power, PJ. Um, the graphite rackets and the, the composite rackets that are there right now, you can generate so much more power with the same swing. Whereas with the wooden rackets, and, and you cited some great players there, like my own personal favorite, Borg. Yeah. It wasn't so much about the power. It was about the placement of the ball. It was yeah. about spin. It was, And I'm not taking away from any from the modern players. There's huge athleticism there as well, but... 
that ability that they had to sort of glide the ball across the surface of the court, that came from the fact that their, their rackets were heavier, they were unable to generate as much power, so they had to place the ball, I think, more precisely mm. than before. The ball travels so, more slowly, which means you can put more spin on it, and they can swing the ball viciously around the court. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's what we're hoping to see here in Douglas in the first weekend in September. A whole lot of people like uh, like you and me who, who remember the game playing with wood rackets and indeed played the game with wood rackets. Mm. And certainly if you're uh, my size and weight, you'll appreciate the fact that the ball is moving a little bit more slowly. I, I played a little and badly in college. That, that's what I should say. I mean, what, another one of my favourites would have been Jimmy Connors. And people used oh, to yeah. say, no one ever returned the ball in, in, like, like Jimmy Connors returned the serve but if you saw the way he did it he would his, his returns were vicious because of the spin he could get into it because the ball wasn't travelling that fast that's exactly right exactly right in actual fact here we have, we have a display of rackets actually in the clubhouse and we've got a Jimmy Connors uh, well one of the types that he used in the old days but also a more modern racket that he used that he autographed and it's a wow. sort of a single shaft graphite racket that looks like a wooden racket but was uh, was a single shafting and simply, you know, I'm sure like many players of his era, he found the adaptation moving from sort of the old style rackets to the old, uh, you know, a little challenging. I mean, they all did it in the end, but, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they held on for as long as they could. I think the mm, last He year, didn't like it. I mean, no. He said it at one of, one of the big tournaments that he didn't like it that much. He said he couldn't get as much, as much dip into the ball in his return. That's, that's exactly right. And I, I think a lot of them did. I mean, Borg is a perfect example. Borg, gave up in 1981 and uh, tried to make a comeback uh, later, in a couple of years later with the wooden racket and was knocked out in the first round of the tournament. Kind of, you know, a little bit of an ignominy to the end of what was one of the greatest professional tennis careers I remember when ever. he came back. It was very upsetting, actually, when he, when he yeah. went out the way he did. Now, Douglas, uh, yes. early September, an actual tournament with all the old, with all the old equipment. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and a lot of court links with it. Not only a sort of are we the first place to run the tournament, but it's been run under the auspices of the, of the International Wood Tennis Organization. And the CEO of that organization is a guy called Steve Sullivan, who's from Cork originally and played uh, interprovincial tennis for Munster in the past. And uh, he and I connected a couple of months back on, um, you know, just in a mutual passion for the old wooden rackets. I mean, and they are beautiful things. Mm. These are the ones you had to put a frame on them, like... That's it, to prevent them from warping, exactly. So he was uh, involved in, in the movement originally, and there's a company in the UK called Grays. They also make rugby balls, etc. And they're back making new wooden rackets. And so we connected over that. Steve then uh, moved on and created the International Wood Tennis uh, Organization. And we were only too delighted to try to take up the opportunity to host the inaugural Irish Wood Tennis Racket Open over Fantastic. here. Fantastic. I think this is gathering a bit of steam worldwide yeah. and that we could one day see some of the modern greats with a wooden racket in their hand. Well, again, Steve has already hooked up with some of the, the older greats and they're, they're anxious to sort of become ambassadors for wood tennis. And, and yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, it, it, it is a, a version of the sport that can exist in parallel with uh, the, the sort of the modern game. Mm. And it, it's no less a, a great spectator sport. It's no less a great sort of participatory sport. It, it really is just yeah. a, a different way of playing a game in the same sort of infrastructure with tennis courts, with the same tennis balls and so on. That's right. It's well, just a different way of doing it. Like, wouldn't it be fascinating if one day 
uh, Wimbledon had a section because it's got all sorts of sections now between yeah. uh, it's got the wheelchair which was fascinating and we saw more of that on the telly this year than ever before and it's amazing to watch wouldn't it be fabulous if something like Wimbledon or or some other one of the big tournaments took on a wooden section yeah absolutely and what's lovely about all of this is that uh, Ireland is at the heart of it and Cork is at the heart of it and, and you know we had uh, we had uh, Antisha here on Saturday opening the courts together with the, the president of Tennis Ireland. Uh, and both were fascinated by it. And, you know, one would hope that this is the very start of, of, of a broader movement, as you say. And again, it starts right here in Cork, yeah. in Douglas. It's great to see. And you're, can tickets be had? I mean, you know, we still have restrictions on outdoor crowds and stuff like that. What, what kind of crowds can you have? Um, we can, it's like everything, PJ. We, we're taking, you know, significant precautions. The club has been very, very careful over the last a uh, couple of the last year or two, whatever it was. So there's hand sanitizer all over the place that Clannacilty Distillery, in fact, provided us with. Um, and we can take up to 200 people outdoors. And for, from an entry perspective, we're, we're uh, allowing 120 entrants into the competition this year. But we hope to grow it. We've got plenty of local sponsors. We want, it, we want to bring people to the other parts of this. We want to bring people to Cork, you know. Um, mm. There's lots of local businesses here in Douglas that we want to benefit. It's on over the weekend. The market will be on down in Douglas. We'll have a brand new um, catering company here on site for teas and coffees as well, Box Pirates. And, and we want local business and local people to, to benefit from people visiting Cork. And the first weekend in September, sure, when, when else could you come down? It's, it's a fantastic time to be here. I look forward to popping down for a look. I, I really sure. do. You're more than welcome. Looking forward to seeing you down here, PJ, and your listeners. Mike, thank you very much. That's Mike Ryan from Douglas uh, Lawn Tennis Club bringing the first. It's an Irish national competition in wood tennis, old-fashioned tennis, if you like, which is making a comeback. If you're wondering who the people are we've been talking about, they're all over YouTube. Uh, Look up Jimmy Connors' service returns on YouTube. If you're into tennis, if you're into modern tennis, look up Jimmy Connors' service returns on YouTube. The guy was the best returner of serve in the game, in the history of the game, but he did it because the ball moved a little bit more slowly and the power he could put into it. Look, I'll get off I'm on my high horses now, Fergie going to give out to me afterwards. But I'm great to, it's great to see this back. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See mig.ie. Fully focused, what do you mean? Got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Shut Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live. With now, stream live Premier League action with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. Cork's 96fm. Wishing the Rebels the best of luck in the All-Ireland Final. 1850-715-996. Yeah, if you want more details on that t- tennis tournament in Douglas, uh, you can find Douglas Lawn Tennis Club on Facebook and you can find out more about getting tickets and stuff like that. 1850-715-996. The person who I was 
mentioning that their weight loss seemed very, very big. Um, and I was wondering, was it from this June or last June? They were back on. I've lost 30 kilos since the start of June. It was this year, 2021. I went to my dietitian. They told me that I could begin doing more. Like, what do you do with that? Uh, on the subject of preparations for the match on Sunday, and we want to see your pictures of your flags and your bunting and your um, dogs with their hair dyed. We want to see all those pictures and get them into us at 083 396 96 96. But Gabriel on WhatsApp says, I'm from Limerick. Okay. I was in Cork yesterday with my wife who's from Cork. Oh, that'll be a great atmosphere over Sunday's dinner. The atmosphere is not as good in Cork as it is in Nimerick. Regards to Gabriel, who says up the Shannon Siders. 1850-715-996. And lastly, before I go to something else, uh, hi PG, my friend's been trying to get through to the senior line for a few days, and it's not working. Does anybody know anything about that? If anybody does, they know where we are. 1850-715-996. One thing we did right through lockdown and right through uh, COVID in general was recommend stuff to you on the telly. Uh, and if it wasn't for Netflix and if it wasn't for Amazon, we'd probably have lost our reason months ago because of the great stuff that's there. And particularly Netflix has all sorts of stuff on Netflix. And every day you open it, it's got something new to offer. And... I watched a fantastic uh, action film called Lupin uh, earlier this year. Brilliant film. Brilliant, brilliant piece of work. And there was another show that I didn't get around to watching, um, but I will eventually, called Call My Agent. And a lot of people really, really loved that one. Um, but the two of them had one thing in common. They were both French. And French television and French cinema, there's an awful lot of it on. Netflix, and the interest in it has grown. Uh, we have a French film festival here in Cork and have had for a number of years. It's coming up uh, in the first week in September, or first weekend in September. Joss Legault is the, the coordinator. Good morning, Joss. Hi, good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. And Valerie David McGonnell is another coordinator of the French Film Festival. Speaking of those two, I think they were the breakthrough shows, I think, movie and television, on Netflix. Lupin was just a marvellous, marvellous film. And you wouldn't, you know, it's, it, there's so much good stuff out there if you go chasing French stuff through, like, through Netflix. Joss. <laughs> Yeah. So yes, so Lupin um, has been a tremendous success, uh, not only in Ireland, but uh, across uh, the world. So really, and I believe that Omar Sy has been a truly actor who showed himself in the best of uh, being a very good, very good actor. And uh, we do love him really so in France and across the world. So actually, we, we had uh, Omar Sy in one of our uh, French film festival uh, years back ago. So, and we enjoyed to, to have him here in Cork. Yes. Now, uh, Valerie, on Call My Agent, um, I, yeah, I haven't gotten around to watching it yet, but that was, I think people were surprised how big a hit that was, given that it was subtitled. Absolutely, absolutely, PJ. Um, it was. Um, it's. It's a very, very good show, and you get to see a lot of famous 
French stars in it as well. It's about um, agents, you know, agents with uh, with French stars in the Paris um, uh, company. So it's it's very very interesting. But uh, can I just say, PJ, that um, I really uh, loved the way you pronounced Lupin earlier. You know, it was perfect pronunciation. Merci. I did French in school, so I, I, I my own uh, teacher would come back and haunt me if I didn't get it right. <laughs> I'll just emphasize, though, that um, our Cork French Film Festival is not just for people who speak French, okay, because all the films are subtitled. So yeah. it's it's also for um, for cinephiles, you know, people who love cinema, who yeah. love good cinema, but it does show a good variety of different French language cinema. Yeah. So we have a lot of French films, but not only, we also have Belgian films and Canadian films, because as you know, as you probably know, you know, yeah. French is spoken in spoken a lot in of different countries. Yes, yes. It's a thing about the French film industry, and I think the French music industry too. Um, there's so much good stuff there that we don't know about. French f- 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 movies and television, we just don't know. And I often wondered why that was, Valerie. Um, I, I, I think it has to be with, um, with exposure. You know, if people are not exposed to uh, different types of music and cinema through the media... Um, you know, they won't know about it. So, it, as you say, you know, it was um, it, it was uh, astonishing that Call My Agent and, and Lupin gained such popularity, but it was thanks to the media, you know. Mm. Um, so, so if it's not in the media, you know, people yeah. won't know about it. So yeah. the Cold French Film Festival is a good opportunity to discover um, films and actors and, and French language directors that you wouldn't otherwise have been exposed to. Yeah. Now, your opening film um, in the festival this year is one I've been hearing about. It's, it's, it's called Serre, Sisters. Yes, and it's by um, a Franco-Algerian uh, director, and it's partly autobiographical. Uh, so it's about three sisters um, and who live in France and who go back to Algeria. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. And the main actress is very, very famous in France, but also internationally. She's a beautiful, beautiful actress, Isabella Jenny. Okay. Now, you can also get tickets for the, fest- for the festival online this year. Jos? Yes. In- <clears throat> Sorry. Yes, indeed. So um, the festival this year um, will be uh, screened at the Gate Cinema. So who, the Gate Cinema is our partner uh, for a large, good number of years. And we are happy to, to have uh, Margaret, uh, the director of the festival, sorry, the director of the Gate Cinema uh, for, for, for the past years with us. Um, so thank you to, to Margaret for, 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 for uh, welcoming us. Um, so the movies will be with screen on the Get Cinema, the Get Cinema, and uh, we have um, we are happy to, to to say that we have eleven uh, Irish premiere uh, this year. So we try to make as uh, or to bring as many movies as we can uh, into the country, and we believe that uh, this is something that makes the festival a good quality um, of yeah. the, 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 this festival. Um, there will be also some uh, movies uh, available uh, online, so the people out of Cork will be uh, um, able to, 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 to watch the, the movies uh, through our, our platform as well. Mm. Can I ask you about something? I, I've mentioned this before uh, when talking about television uh, and films. I, I'm a person who finds subtitles difficult, um, but a lot of things that happen on Netflix now, eventually you'll get a dubbed version. Is it kind of, do the purists dislike dubbing? 
It's a good question. You know, I, I think you have people who like, you know, subtitles and people who like dubbing. Myself, I, I would prefer subtitles, even if I don't understand the language myself. You know, I, I've watched different Danish series, for instance, and, I, uh, and Spanish as well. Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I prefer, yeah. And, and I prefer uh, subtitles because you lose a little bit, you know, if you don't hear the music of the language, whether you understand it or not is, is not relevant, I think. But, you know, some people prefer uh, dubbing. So it's, um, yeah, I, I don't know. So, guys, the first festival opens when? Uh, so it opens on the 2nd of September. So on Thursday, the 2nd of September, and it runs until Sunday, the 5th. Okay, and, and more information from Cork French Fist Festival. French, I tried that again. Cork French Film Festival. dot com for all the further information. Joss and Valerie from the Film Festival. Thank you so much. Or should I say, merci beaucoup. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Thanks for all your nominations and votes in the Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. Now it's time to reveal your favorites. Stay listening all day Friday as we reveal this year's winners. Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie. Find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths, and more with a 12 month guarantee backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Quick one before we go today. Natalie was on. She says, I work with Aer Lingus and nearly every day there's families coming to check in and they have no passenger locator forms made out. Some of them don't have time to fill them out and they may not make the flight. Please have your passenger locator form filled out, as without it, we will not allow you on board. Thank you. We want everybody to go on holiday, but you need to have your paperwork in order. With that, we leave you. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie.